golf nerds. It's uh, another edition of Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. Once again, happy to have TaylorMade and Adidas back for another golf season of support on this podcast. Uh, Tim O'Connor is the uh, mental performance coach for the Glen Abbey Golf Academy, as well as the head golf coach for the Guelph Griffin Gryffindors, the Guelph Griffins. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, what's that, sir? Hang on. Let me turn the music. Let me turn the music down. It's the Griffins, isn't it? Griffins. Griffins, yes, Griffins yeah. This Harry Potter-ish type of That's right. I, I, love yeah. it. I love it when you guys play Hufflepuff in some of your... <laughs> In some of your yeah. test matches, I think they're called. Uh, my name's uh, Howard Glassman from the Humble and Fred Show, Golf Spiritual Leader. And uh, we're pleased to have uh, all of you back again. Uh, some big announcements coming up in the next uh, few episodes. We'll tell you how you can access this show. Uh, coming uh, in the uh, next few weeks, you'll be able to uh, not only hear it uh, as a podcast, but we're preparing to uh, release the uh, the information where you might be able to hear it one Saturday coming soon on your way to the golf course. And uh, Tim and I are quite excited about that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be wild, man. It's progression of our show. And uh, it's really cool. I just want to just uh, shout out to Taylor Made at Adi Dawes, as I've learned the correct pronunciation. Uh, they are officially back on board with our partner. So really, uh, really great to have them back on board. And Howard, I, through the magic of Skype, I'm noticing some new uh, eyewear. The, the is that new eyewear you have there with the the uh, spots on the side or something? Yeah, my my uh, camouflage uh, reading glasses that I got at Seven <laughs> Eleven. That's right. Oh, That's right. oh okay. Yeah, they're pretty fashionable. They were, yeah, they are. I got that leopard spot thingy happening and, you, on you know, the side here, there. Here's how old I am. I I bought these reading glasses without being able to see the camouflage on the side of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, and I well, seriously you got a looked at the mirror and went, oh. no, I didn't even. It, it wasn't took until my girlfriend said, "Are you trying to hide from somebody?" I said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Your glasses—they're camouflaged for a reason." I'm expecting. I'm like, "What?" She goes, "Yeah, like when you turn your head to the side, no one can see you anymore." Anyway, oh, yeah. uh, let's oh, not use the Harry Potter cloak of invisibility. That's true. That, that thing going. Nice tie in there, Dumbledore. Um, listen, let's not waste any more time. Our guest today is standing by uh, all the way from uh, across the pond. He is, uh, he's been on our program before. Uh, Tim and I have both spoken to him. Full disclosure, we both uh, have spoken to him individually and on the program. Please welcome back to our show, Dr. Edward Collins, everybody. Dr. Ed, who uh, uh, until Hi, about 15 seconds ago didn't, didn't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> This is, it's quite common. Even even where I'm from, people don't get my name right, so I wouldn't worry about that. So. And where do okay. we uh, where do we find you uh, on this day? You're four. I think we just figured figured out yesterday. You're four or five hours ahead of us. Yeah. So it's ten past eleven here in Cork, in the, the south tip of Ireland. Um, so here I'm currently in my office in Cork Institute of Technology, and came in to do. A little bit of a little bit of admin work today, um, and also to speak to you guys. So, Doctor Ed is a uh, as a uh, self described skill acquisition specialist, practice coach, sports scientist, lecturer, and as it says in on your site, there skill acquisition ability by birth, skill by work, 
And why don't we start with there, if you don't mind, Tim, I'll just begin by saying, Dr. Rhea, just give us a little uh, a refresher to those of us who are uh, those uh, Swing Thought people that didn't hear the first episode. What kind of work do you involve yourself with and how does it apply to golf? And the work I involve myself is is directly related to how people practice. So I think how people practice is the essence of how ultimately they will learn. And how they learn is something that we I would hope is something that becomes a long-term um, part of what they want to do, a long-term behavior, let's say. Um, as we probably all know, learning really doesn't take place um, Learning doesn't take place in the here and now. It's something that is built up over time. And I think with good practice, we can enhance that rate of learning. So a lot of the work I do in relation to the golf space is to try and unmuddy the water as far as what people are doing when they are trying to get better. And because... I think a lot of what I see and a lot of what I hear and even the people I work with now, uh, uh, when they talk to me about how they've practiced in the past, a lot of that isn't very, isn't really conducive to building robust learning. Um, So that's kind of the space that I kind of come in at to try and help people to build effective practice strategies that will transfer into that lovely space when they tee it up for a monthly medal, if they're an amateur and something that's important to them, or for a pro where their their livelihood depends on them earning money. Well, what are the common uh, what are the common errors that you see that golfers commit in in practicing? I mean, you know, I think I I might fall prey to them. I have an indoor academy and. That our university team uses, and I found myself doing that typical thing of hitting, like, say, 15 wedges, and then moving up to, you know, same amount of seven irons and up. Is that useful, or should I be mixing it up somehow? I would be thinking that it's more useful to mix it up. If you, if you were to ask me, what are the common problems that I see across both amateur golfers and and into elite level uh, amateurs and and professional golfers, is that they can find themselves going down a rabbit hole. And the, it, it's uh, what I try and work with people is to help them build a mechanism into themselves so that they are very aware of when they when they're heading down that rabbit hole to make sure that they're able to pull up the handbrake and re, and and check themselves about what actually what am i going to what am i about to do and how much of that actually translates and 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 exists on the golf course in the competition space and that very often even just that process of awareness helps them ease off going down that rabbit hole and very often when they come back out of that space what they'll tend to do is add a little bit more variety to their practice add a little bit more context to their practice and also a bit more common sense to their practice um and i think i think i might have said this the last time i was on too you know if my my wife was asked if what a good while back you know what does that do you know and what 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 did he do what what did he do his phd in and, and it was just kind of you know he was well, he did his PhD in common sense, and that's kind kind of it. I, I I just try to see if I can ask very straightforward questions and try to keep it very simple in that practice space. You know, a lot of people have talked, so we've talked about it. Tim and I have spent considerable amount of energy having the discussion around the culture of golfers and how there's a culture that sometimes when you're in it, you don't see how broken or you know, a lot of people kind of have gone down one way in terms of golf. And, and let's just start with this statement. One of the 
one of the most uh, common you know frustrations for golfers is not being able to take their their golf their practice uh, the range practice to the first tee and one of the things we obviously we've talked about on the show is that it's the first shot the reason it's tough for a lot of players to to that first tee because it's the first shot of consequence that they've hit that day and your practice is all about practicing with con- consequence so that when you go to play you feel more comfortable in that arena Absolutely. And I, I love that idea that the that the drive for most people is the first shot of consequence. I work in a space where I make sure that people experience consequence in their warm-up so that that's just another shot I'm playing. It just happens to be on the first tee because even when I was at the range beforehand warming up or on, on the pudding green, I was actually still working with, in, a, in, a, in a consequential space there as well. So it's almost a seamless shift up to, for that walk to the first tee box. And, and, sorry, this, and, 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 and some of the work you did on your PhD is, is you can fool your brain because your brain doesn't know that the first tee is the beginning of the game. The beginning of the game can be on the warm-up uh, uh, area. I think that's called yeah. the range. I, I'm sorry, I'm a little yeah, tired. Exactly, but, but you're right. a, lot the, a lot of the work, a lot of the work uh, that we would have, that I would have either examined directly in my PhD with, with the studies that we conducted ourselves, or even just the, the work we were looked at to inform our studies, there, a lot of that came back down to how we, again, how, how, how do we view the work we do? Do we reflect in a positive way about how we do? Do we reflect at all? And if we do, how does that impact on the next time? Whereas, again, if we start looking back on how we play and we think, oh, I, I got to get ready now, I'm going to the first tee, well, then you're creating something much more about that shot than you've done about any of the other shots you've done. So what I try and encourage people to do is just try and create that that sense of urgency over all your shots so then it doesn't feel any different when all of a sudden... I oh my I'm I'm on the 18th fairway, and if I can get up and down, if I can get on the green in regulation and two put, I I I, I have a chance for my best score ever. Well, the ball doesn't know it's going to be your best score ever, nor does the club. But we we've, we've now created this feeling, and it's very difficult for most people to then swing the norm the way they normally would when all of that extra stuff comes in. I'm not te- I'm not I'm not suggesting for a minute that people block those thoughts i'm saying hey we're human let all those thoughts come in but let's let's be used to those thoughts being in and being able to then work a swing and put a swing on the ball in a way that still allows all those thoughts to be there thanks so i want to make a connection to you know as sort of golf insiders if you will or golf nerds that we we are um there's a tendency sometimes to use some terminology that maybe people don't automatically connect with and so when you talk about you know being on that 18th tee 18th hole and be able to make a swing um how do you link that to the sense of consequence in practice what do you mean by practicing with a sense of consequence um yeah yeah. i think i think what i mean by that is that if if i'm in a practice scenario and i'm not aware that this shot is an important shot well then i'm swinging in a way that's going then i'm 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 approaching that shot in a different way to when i'm over a, a ball and i think it's an important shot my attention immediately is 
been somewhat split and we know from as you know better as well as I do better than I do Tim when our attention gets split all the evidence tells us when your attention gets split it's very hard for us now, then to focus on what we need to do so uh, what I'd like to try and get for people is is for them to be to get very good at directing their attention to what they need to do even when they feel this is the most important shot of the day so with that in mind, when you're practicing, I'll build in that sense of urgency about every shot. That, well, this is an important shot. And and I'll, I'll, I think we, Howard and myself, we even spoke recently about this. Less so this idea of I'm, I'm going to try and get five and I'm not going to move on until I get five in a row. Well, what tends to happen is you'll get one or two or three and that's fine. And then it only be, feels like it's important when it hits four and even more important at five. So then five is the only one that actually matches what you feel like in the game, as opposed to flipping that around saying, well, I, I want to work on my chipping today, so I have to earn the right to hit the second one. So that the first one now is hugely important because it, it, it works then in a, not so much in a sliding scale the other way around, but actually in a in an exponential scale. I've got to earn the right to hit another important So, uh, Doc, let's just get practical right away for someone listening because we're just a few weeks away from golf actually happening here in this godforsaken land where winter lasts forever. Um, how would you do that? Because I, I, Tim and I both know lots of drills that do what you said, which is, you know, you say I've got to get three out of five before I can leave or I've got a putting drill where I've got to go around the clock. How do you yeah. make that first putt, chip, or shot feel very visceral and, and, and as you said we, we spoke about context first and consequence so yeah. how do you put context and then consequence around the very first exercise uh, a great question and what I'll do I, I'll go to Carl Newell is a guy a, a very very well known professor of motor learning and, 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 and skill acquisition for want of a better phrase and he, he has a phrase that uh, actually a friend of mine, Rick Schultz, posted up recently. He said, learning movement skills is not a process of repeating a solution. It is repeating the process of finding a solution. Wow. So rather than, so, so rather than being in a situation where I'm saying... Ah, yes, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Tim just held up a cool quote to the camera. Tim, send me that so I may tattoo that on my left arm when I'm looking down at my club. Exactly. I, Ed, I learned that from Ed that learning movement is not a process of repeating a solution. It's, a re it's repeating the process of finding a solution. I, I was so moved by it, I wrote it down and pinned it to my bulletin board. Good. Well, so, so, so the nuts and bolts of that as a quote, yes. how do we... How do we make that practical? Make how that practical make for someone listening. So how we make that practical is we, we we try and make we try and work on people's capacity to be good problem solvers. So not so much did the ball go in the hole? Well, no, hang on a second. There's so many other things that need to happen for the ball to go in the hole. Just let's start. Let's start. Start winding it back. Rather than me saying, "I've got a, I've got a, I've this is the shot I want to play." It's a little bump and run shot from five yards off the uh, off the front edge of the green, uh, and I want to get five of these in a row. I would completely turned on and I said, I said, you know what I want you to do? I said, I, I, I would like you to, if, you, if, if you're working on your bump and run, make sure you never hit two from the same spot. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
and 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 yes, if you want to work in that bumper up, but then I would add, then I would start adding the connectivity to the golf course into it. If you want to have a bump and run, great. Well, then go up and finish out that put, finish out that sequence, so that you're connecting the dots between that, and then you'll have to then go away and then put it in a different spot of the green. And then a, a different spot, a different problem, and a different solution has to be found. That's much better than I'm gonna I'm gonna work here for 20 shots, and oh, I love yeah, and this is great. And then all of a sudden, what starts to happen when you get to that hole normally is oh yeah, it, well I don't mind dropping it short because I, I know how to play that pitch. Well, you know what? What if it goes over the back? You know, you're in a, 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 a position that you're not comfortable with. Whereas, if you get used to being uncomfortable, and and your whole job on the course is just to solve some problems, well, then that that pr- puts you in a very strong position to solve any problem. And it also just makes it a lot more interesting, as opposed to did the ball go in the hole? Well, no. Did how how did I how did I go on that specific problem that time? Well, what it sounds like, what you're doing in essence is you're making practice like the actual game. And we've talked about with our friend Carl Morris about this is that the practice, the way where we practice in golf, it no way mimics what the game actually is. So I think what you're saying is rather than try and you know, make five in a row and go down the rabbit hole of perhaps focusing on a technique or something like that, what you're saying is make your practice like the game where you're all with each shot is an individual shot. You've got a new problem that you need to find a solution. Is that kind of a, uh, a neat way to put it together? It is. And you've teed up something very nice there because, we, we, you know, as hard was saying, how can we make this practical to be able to listen to us today and go away and actually put something into play the very next time they go out the course? You mentioned Carl Morris there. Carl and Carla and his buddy put have a book the lost art of pudding and there's some like mo- most books they'll try to systemize a problem or do these step by step things whereas the guys have actually written a, a nice short book on on pudding that there's a few chapters in that book that absolutely speak to just the art of figuring stuff out we're not going to tell you how to do it, but we're going to suggest a path that you should go down yourself and explore within that because they know they're they're switched on enough to know that there's no there's no one way. So we're not going to tell you do it this way and it's going to work. No, we're going to tell you you just have to explore. You have to let the environment speak to you a lot more. You have to let the puts speak to you a lot more. Let let almost give into the fact that there's going to be uh, you know spike marks. So there's going to be a grain that's not going to do what you think it's going to do, and so on and so forth. So to make peace with the fact that it's not, again, going to Barbara Telecourt, it's not a game of perfect. So take the pressure off yourself. And by the way, for you who just, if you just tuned in, that's our friend Dr. Ed Collins from Ireland. And he's talking about a book called The Lost Art of Putting, Not the Lost Art of Pudding. Uh, the Lost Art, <laughs> by the way, and I'm not saying that the pudding book is very, very good. It's not as good as the putting book. Uh, the chapter on butterscotch. Uh, no, oh seriously. Uh, if you're if you're looking for some putting tips, uh, or put. Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> all, all crap aside, you know, and and uh, in, in in episodes to come, Tim and I are going to reconnect with another former guest of ours, uh, Michael Hebron, and I and I spoke about Michael with uh, Ed the other day, and one of the things that Michael and Morris and Ed all get to, which is golfers seeking consistency are looking for the wrong thing. Golfers seeking reliability, meaning, as you just said, Ed, 
if you put your golf ball in many different spots around a, a practice green, you're going to learn to rely on yourself to access the context and what kind of lie do I have and all those things. And if you do that for 20 minutes versus hitting the same chip over and over again, what you start to build is the reliability in your skills that you're building versus, you know, as, as uh, Hebron says, if you hit the same t- hit chip twice, what your brain does immediately is gauges what happened on the first chip. So now you're you're recalibrating. So it's not really all you're doing is learning how to hit that chip, which you'll yeah. never have again on the golf course. I love so, that. So talked a little bit about some of the skill sets that you work with with your with your elite players and your amateurs. Some of the things that you want them to go away and do to help build reliability. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, uh, just on that, when you spoke about that, I would strongly advise anybody to get onto the PGA Tour Twitter feed and look up Brooks Kupka's right. A pre-event press conference for the Players' Championship this week. Yeah, talk Saga. about that, because that's very interesting. It, oh, it's it, it just... And again, I'm not... This is not me saying, oh, because Brooks Kupka is saying that we should all do it. What I like about how Brooks Kupka, and especially, and again, I, I am very appreciative of the fact that Claude Harmon III, his his coach, is, it, it, it's very much coming from his philosophy, because I've, I've been seeing a lot of stuff that that guy is doing and talking about and how to just allow the player find themselves within their golf. And again, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but I just think what Brooks Kupka was saying a couple of days ago is a lot more inviting for more golfers. It's a lot more welcoming for people to think, oh, I, I, I think I could get... I think I could get behind that as an idea, as opposed to trying to make it out that it is something that only some a, a very small few people will ever get. Right. So, what was his core message, Ed? What was what was Brooks? The core message, core message was he said at one point he was like, "You're you're never going to swing swing it the same way two days in a row. So just get get comfortable with that." Mm-hmm. He he spoke about he he was like he said you know he said he he was talking about how he bought a TrackMan and he's only ever used it once and I and again. I have huge appreciation for all the qualities that a track man can bring to a practice kind of scenario. Absolutely. I'm not saying that everything he says is 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 absolutely the word, but I'm saying that it, it what he ten, what he brought to that type of that, that press conference was just a balance. It's it's okay to it's okay to think this way, essentially, you know? It's okay the don't be trying to enforce a swing on yourself, enforce a method on yourself. He's, I think what he has and the relationship he has with his own coach is one of, let, let me see how I figure out my golf game. And it just, as I said, it, it, that way seems so much more inviting for people to get involved in golf, but also for them to, just to build that autonomy within themselves for how to get themselves better and not be so coach-reliant. So you're saying that Kepka, in essence, was it was an invitation, okay, folks, instead of going down the rabbit hole of trying to perfect your numbers on, say, TrackMan, or try to match some model of where your elbow needs to be, rather than try and, as you say, go down those rabbit holes, more be aware of what you do in trying to find the solution to a particular shot or just being aware of your own swing. 
Well, he said, he said, and I, I'm going to paraphrase this because I, I don't remember. But he said, I want my golf to be much more like a I'm a basketballer shooting free throws. I want this to be a reactive sport. I was like, beautiful. He, here is a guy in a sport where you can actually place the ball in, in two very distinct areas, on the tee box and on the green. And there is, you have a variety of different clubs at your disposal to be able to hit all these different types of shots. And you've helped from a caddy and all this. And yet he still speaks about it as a reactive sport. I want to be able to get over the ball and see a shot and just respond to what that shot requires. Well, that was Rotella. That's what Rotella talked about. Harvey Penick, take dead aim. Mo Norman, reaction. Absolutely. I'm sorry, yeah. Ed. We, when we, we, Ed and I talked yesterday, and you mentioned Brooks Kepka, and then I was watching the Players' Championship. At one point, there was a, a, a moment with Tiger Woods, and he was talking about seeing shots as pictures, mm. seeing the picture of the shot. And, and then I said to Ed, you know, when you see Tiger Woods take a practice swing, and sometimes you'll see him on certain shots take two or three slow swings and as I said to Ed he's not trying to remember how to swing a golf club he's trying to determine the picture for this golf shot now whereas most of us are, are, we, are we spend our entire golf lives and certainly our golf games trying to replicate an expert model that we really that has nothing to do with us and the way we move our body Ed so so some of the things I do, and I love that idea of a picture, because some of the things I've done with players is we'll be on the course and I'll say to them, say, OK, so what's the what's the shot telling you? What are you looking at here? Oh, and I'm going to try and do this. OK, I said, you know what? Let's just take out a tee and just very light. All I want you to do very lightly with the tee, but just enough so you can see it. I want you to draw the arc of the of what you'd like the flight of the ball to do on the ground. Just to draw that little uh, what what kind of a flight you'd like to see in the ball. And then just step away and say, okay, that's your picture. That's the picture of the shot that you'd like to do. Now, let's let's act on that picture. And for some people, that's a very powerful image because they're like, well, because normally how, how do they see their arc? They see it from behind. So you're not really seeing the arc. Now, if you can actually see it from the side, because you're actually, you just leave just a little, a little scratch in the ground. You're like, okay, yeah, I, I, I see that. So, so then, so when they do that, I'm saying, okay, so I'm just seeing there. So you're actually going to hit it in quite low and you're going to expect it to check up, or they'll do a very high looping arc. So, okay, so you're looking for elevation there, and they're like, I suppose that's what I am. I, I, I've never seen it like that before. So that, that can help people paint and draw those, their, their pictures for themselves, for their own shot selection. And I love that idea, because you mentioned another word about that analogy. Pictures and analogies and external cues, these are very powerful ways to help us to attune to the environment and the shot that's required that that's, that lies in front of us. What I like about this is that you're talking, it's about, to me, it's about creation. It's about going forward. I have, I, yeah, I'm going forward as opposed to, again, the, the culture of golf and the paradigm that we in around fixing, you know, you, you, the standard golf lesson. Yeah. Take a shot, oh, partner, you're coming over the top and lagging and all that. What you're talking about is rather than error detection, <laughs> responding to what we just did, you're going forward to create something. Yeah. And- I, 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 I am. And I think, I think oh, I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I have two, two young boys who 
are a great source of experimentation for me. They're not aware that they're being experimented on. Are children's services aware that's of this right. or anything? Listen, I, I, yeah, all parents, really, that's a great way to put it. All parents, we're just, we're just scientists with our own kids. We're like, I don't, I don't exactly. know if this is going to work or not, but sure. Yeah, exactly. eat, eat all the sugar you want. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's really funny. Do you want a coffee? <laughs> That's right. I tried giving my eight-year-old coffee. It doesn't, doesn't seem to, he's up all day. And I don't know. What did you guys do? I just uh, give him coffee before he goes to a birthday party. Yeah. So what, what are you, what are you learning from your uh, young uh, sportsman in training? So, so my, my, what I'm learning from them, from, what I'm learning from them is how completely unconscious they adapt to an environment that that's in front of them they are completely unconscious of them they like the two of them will grip the golf club i've never shown them how to grip a golf club but they've both taken the club and have their left hand above their right they're they're right they're right-sided i've never i've never shown them that now there's a bit of modeling going on because they'll have seen me hit shots and so on and so forth but they're still figuring out so the, the six-year-old holds it with there's about an inch gap between both hands fine because he's he's six his hands can, you know and so on and so forth but i was as i said to howard recently i was like i i can do things with them where i'll put the balls at in different places on the ground and i put them on a high tee low tee i put it very far over in one kind of tee box and so on and so forth and I'll, all I say to him is, whatever, however way you see the ball, I just want you to hit hit the ball that you see it. They'll come in and they'll see a ball in a high tee, and they will adjust their grip in the club. On a low tee, they'll adjust their grip in the club. If I have it backed up against something, they'll adjust their stance. Now, this is just them figuring stuff out and problem solving and attuning themselves to the environment. When we get older, we think there must be a method so, so we then try to intellectualize the solution as opposed to just kind of getting into the problem. Let's get stuck into the problem. Let's figure it out when we're in there. And, I, and that's, what I, that's what I really love to see with, with guys that I practice with, to see them just getting very deep into the problem-solving side of things. So there, there's nothing quite like a session where I, we, we'll be, I'll be manipulating the environment at different times and... And eventually, I'll find myself just stepping back, and there'll be there'll be no talking between us for quite a while because you you can see in them they're in that space of just figuring something out, and then afterwards you say how did that go and they're like whoa that was, that was that was really deep and I was like okay well, in what way so well that's exactly how it feels when I'm competing, because I there is that intensity and all we've done was just trying to perturb their environment sufficiently for them to for the for the problem to be real enough for them to actually have to go to and employ all their faculties for the shot that's what we want well i'm i'm sure a lot of our listeners there's a there's a portion of our listeners that would go like yeah i i totally get that but there'd also be a portion go this sounds really good but i keep sculling my chip shots or i hit my pitch shots fat or i slice my driver and they're thinking, like, how do I stop this? This drives me nuts. You know, every time I have a chip shot, I end up sculling it or something like that. How do you adapt what you're talking about to that person who's looking for a solution, I guess, to the problem that they have? And, and so, and a lot of that would then depend on the 
the age of the person, the kind of person they are. So, for example, if I, if that was somebody who's, you know, a, your traditional club golfer and they're playing off, you know, 12 handicap and some things have to come into their swing that it's beginning to slice or cut and so on and so forth. And th- in that situation, I'd be thinking, OK, first of all, I, I would try and find out how open are they to being a, to exploring a few options in their swing or are they looking for or are they the type that, Actually, that's not that's that's not going to work for the way they are, and that's totally cool. So, for some people, it would be very beneficial for them to go to a teaching pro and be like, okay, is there something technically that I'm doing here that I'm able that a little bit of work for that I can I can iron that element out of my out of my swing. So you're for, saying sorry. So you're saying that yep. there is a time and place for some work on what we would call the technique. Yes, and when I and when I say yes, I say yes if the, for me the ideal option of some exploration through some constraints that I might do put something down in front of them that they have to try and manipulate around and so on and so forth, if that isn't getting them there because I would much prefer them to get there through an implicit learning approach, if that's not it, of course I'll go to people and it's not me because i'm not a technical coach of course i'd be saying look there's guys there who will who know about the swing who will be able to spot that and be able to say okay this is quite a small thing have you noticed that your grip is has changed a little bit have you noticed that you're transferring your weight because there may there's so many different variables that could go into this someone could turn around and say oh that's interesting because I had a lot of driving a few weeks back and since then I seem to be doing this because maybe there's a tightness in their lower back that then now they're protecting unbeknownst to them which is then causing this action. That's where your teaching pro is so vital to this process to be then able to identify the maybe biomechanical change or so on and so forth. My first hope though is even if with a teaching pro is that they would allow them figure it out for themselves initially allow them problem solve through some ideas, pose them some challenges in their practice to say, well, I want you to kind of hit this shot. And you'll often hear pros talking about, you know, I want you to heal it. I want you to hit it off the toe. I want you to hit it off the different parts of the face to get a feel for what that feels like off the face, but also up the shaft into the grip and into your hands, let's say, you know? You you know, it's fascinating, I think, to all of us, but uh, I'll just speak for myself. I'm, I'm fascinated sometimes when I talk to the club golfers, the 12 to 14 handicaps, and 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 that they just they don't feel like they're allowed moments of self discovery with golf because yep. they they have just because of the way it's taught you know I went to a person they told me to hold it this way and so forever more I'm supposed to swing in this manner whereas the whole game presents nothing but variables and yet in our practice and learning we never put ourselves in a variable mode of learning i'm just going to read yeah. you guys something hebron said he said it's misleading it's a misleading belief that filling up the gaps in one's information base about moving our body in the club is crucial for meaningful progress to take hold because that's what everyone thinks if i'm yeah. skull if i'm hitting if i'm hitting topped five irons every time I have a certain lie my first thing is to go well I've obviously I'm not smart enough to know how to do this someone has to show me how but as you said unless it's a glaring like one of the phrases that Hebron uses I love is as long as it's in the ballpark if your swing is somewhere in the ballpark then then it's better to figure it out on your own basically to go out there and have a pro say okay you're 
You're hitting some skull shots. How about we do this? I want you to hit a few shots where you're where you're going to put it back in your stance. I want you to hit down on it as hard as you can and see what, as Hebron says, playing with the idea. He says that phrase is permeates his teaching. He says, play with the idea, and then you go play with it. As opposed to... I, I, I love that. I, I, I work with a guy at the moment. I work with a guy at the moment, and without a doubt, one of the most creative players I've ever seen, I've ever come across, a young guy, unbelievably creative when we're in practice. Unbelievably creative. And what we're basically working at towards, and he's working on, and I might, like this guy is, put, is doing so much work. What he's working on is to try and make sure that he doesn't, he doesn't wrap up that creativity and, and lock it away in a safe place when he's actually competing. Right. That it's actually, no, no, let that creati- creativity flourish when you're competing because that's that's the essence of who you are. You you have that in spades, I tell him, about how creative he, he, he can be. And what tends to happen because of how people practice, and this is what I hope, this is what I try to bring to that, that, that partnership, is to create that feeling in practice of that pressure, that consequence, that context, and knowing he's still going to be very creative in that space because he knows he's in practice, but for him to then feel the competitive elements in that practice environment where his creativity is so strong so that when he gets to competition, he'll just feel like being creative because it's it's a joy to watch this guy on the, on the side of a green doing a flop shot with a forearm, you wow. know? Yeah. He's just one of these incredible hands. He played multiple sports coming up as he was played hurling and football. He was a good soccer player. But this kid is just, he's, he has everything you could possibly need to be world class. What can tend to happen is when we go into the competition space, it, it, it struggles to get out sometimes. And it's, it's just, he's in the process of working that into his game. Which is it's a beautiful thing to watch. There's so much, so much of what I do now is just get out of the way, get out of the way. Well, you're talking about the when you talk about the creativity. You, in essence, you're talking about this is how Seve Ballesteros built his game. You know, a three iron on the beach. He could hit flop shots with a three iron. He could do whatever he wanted. He was creating, and, yeah. and unfortunately, I think again. Um, makes it sound like we're uh, stuck in communism or something. But this very rigid mindset that that I have to swing the golf club a certain way, as opposed to being creative, someone misses a shot. It's so common to see someone, oh, I see I'm not doing this right again. You know, I'm not doing what I need to do, which is adhering to, you know, this model. And, and it's like just the other thing is um, what I love about this is like Sam Sneed, when he, when he would – hit hooks he would say well what are you going to do he says I'm going to go hit slices (laughs) and find a creative way to figure it out on his own but I just I just like the idea of being able to create and adapt you know Timmy I was going to say this reminds me of an episode we did um, last year I was talking about being in competition and and there's when you're being creative while you're playing and you and you make a mistake. The shot is less than optimal. The simple act of trying something, and maybe it doesn't work out, gives you a certain energy because there's energy in the creative process versus trying to remember what you're supposed to do while you're hitting a ball. It doesn't work out, and it frustrates you because you're thinking, "Well, I didn't go. I didn't do what I was supposed to do." 
On the other hand, when you, it doesn't work out and you're being creative, like, you know, you're trying to hook a shot around a, a train, it doesn't quite do it, but there's a, there's a feeling of, of, of vitality and energy that comes from that act versus the other act, which zaps your energy because immediately upon it not working out, you think you failed. Right. Yes. Can I, can I read yeah. out a quote to you guys? Uh, Russell Earnshaw, he's a, he's a coach in this part of the neck of the woods. He's a rugby coach. And, and he put up a, 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 a post yesterday from Wayne Smith, who's, who's the All Blacks, the rugby team, All Blacks from New Zealand. He's the assistant coach. And this is the quote. He said, their mantra was athlete-centered coaching, focusing on decision-making over skills, on adapting skills to on-field situation. So rather than being instructional all the time, mm. asking questions and getting descriptive answers to know whether the players understood or not, people thought I was crazy. I was about playing games for learning, asking questions to create self-awareness, working on people's strengths rather than just what they can't do. Right. That is, in- And again, all the things you just said there, rather than telling someone there is an answer, I'm telling them, actually, there's loads of ways that the ball can get in the hole. So there isn't any, there's not just one way. And we, again, someone posted up something yesterday from the the Players' Championship. Two guys, Ryan Moore had a hole in one on the 17th yesterday. Yeah. And there was another guy who hit the exact same gap wedge from the same 122 yards. One guy hit it 101 miles per hour. Another guy hit it 100 miles per hour. One guy hit the pin and went in. One guy hit the pin and it just rolled within two inches from going back into the water. Two exceptional shots, but we're talking the, the hair's breadth of a difference between the outcomes. Well, what... Uh... <laughs> I love I love podcasts. We have dogs and things, and people come to the door and well, all of that. Welcome to Home and Country Podcast, where we are today exactly. on the farm. Exactly. We're, exactly. we're Shep, yeah. our well our well known sheepdog. Yeah, I'm just in for milking the cows. I'm talking with my good friend Ed Collum. <laughs> um, so Ed, well, you know, you're in Ireland, and yeah. what we're talking about is a we're connecting to competition one. So what would you say to Rory McElroy, <laughs> who has been in the final group nine times and not able to bring it home? Can you make a connection to what we're talking about, to what Rory might be experiencing? I would say that to Rory might be a real That might be a real grasp there, but I've thrown no, it down. No, no, not at all. I would say to Rory McIlroy, Rory, Rory, you're an amazing golfer and just keep doing what you're doing because if this if this is you having a bad day, um, I, I, I'd say you're probably doing okay. I think, I think there is way too much scrutiny on a guy like that when, when you consider... I've seen some people's comments about about him that just absolutely startle me. Um, the one thing I actually the one thing I get about Rory McIlroy is nothing to do with his golf at all. Is is that he he appears to be have a real balance to his life. Golf isn't the most important thing in this guy's life. And so you wouldn't say that. So you wouldn't say that he needs to fix his Sunday approach. He he needs to have a, adopt a new mindset or something like that. My understanding, having never met the guy, but my understanding from people who who know him and whatever else, is that this guy is is 
actively working on trying to address things that he would see are weaknesses in his game that his his weaknesses are some people's strengths because like this is a guy he can do yeah arguably he's the most talented guy out, out there he's for like his a game is better than anyone else's a game in my opinion he's currently how many top tens has he had already this well, year that's what i was gonna say game. You know, listen guys we're talking about a guy who in the last five tournaments he's played he's no he's not finished worse than six that's somebody's career like second second fourth fifth sixth. like most guys the, the average guy on the tour a european pga whatever if those five finishes yeah. That would be their best year ever, ever. So, and but that I guess go- their career. Yeah. So, golf world every day comes. I get that in my inbox. Yeah. So, yeah. what is it today? Today, Rory shoots a sixty-seven. I think in first yeah. round. Yeah, that's right. Under- oh, but Sunday's looming. Yeah, Sunday's and- looming. But but that's a but that's that that's just good headlines. That's nothing to do with where where he's at. I would think. And yeah. again, I don't I don't know I don't know the guy. But uh, but I but I would also have I do know from people who would who who've been who are you know who, who know him closer than I would anyway, who says like he he's. He's not kind of resting on his laurels, you know. The, his coach Michael Hannon and himself, from again from something I heard, have had an exceptional off season, and and just really solid work. If if that doesn't, you know, everyone else's expectations of Rory are are have nothing to do with Rory. No, exactly. Months. I was going to say all those headlines, all that, yeah. all that discussion is so outside in. You, if you, and, and, you know. Someone asked him, I saw an interview with him recently, last couple of days, and and basically he personally uh, doesn't care what we think about his Sunday progress. He doesn't yeah. because he thinks he's playing great. And, yeah. and, and in five events, if you can finish no worse than six at the elite level, that's pretty good. You know? It's pretty darn good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Someone asked me, because it's something I've been asked in the past, you know, oh, I'd say, would you love to work with Rory McIlroy? And I was like, yeah, of, of course, of course, you know. Oh, what what would you do with him? And I was like, I, I, to be honest, I'm not too sure I would do anything that he's not already doing. And they're like, what? And I was like, I don't. I'd love to work with him because I, I would just sit back and and watch and engage. And the amount of learning that would take place in an environment with a guy with that much ability and that much exploration and that much, you know what I mean? That and also that kind of a relationship that he has with his coach, that long term relationship. Can you imagine the can you imagine the shorthand those two guys have between themselves at this stage? Can you imagine as a coach to be able to go and observe that relationship? That would be unbelievable. And and I remember the person was saying, but would you not think you'd be able to? And I was like, if I went to Rory Mac, if I was working on Rory McIlroy and out of a, a thousand things I did, if there was one thing that he hadn't heard before, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy with myself. I'd Doc- be pretty happy. Think okay, that that that's a good contribution. <laughs> oh, there's a great there's a great story uh, about uh, the legendary coach uh, Harvey Penick, who coached uh, Tom Kite and Ben Crenshaw. And there's a story. It might be apocryphal that the the great ball striker George Knudsen, the Canadian, he was known as one right there with Hogan, Mo Norman, and so Knudsen gets an audience with Harvey Penick, and he hits some balls, and it kind of looks like. So what do you think, <laughs> Harvey Penick goes? Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. <laughs> so, how do you connect that? How do you connect that to the average club golfer, though? About just do it your way, as opposed to doing it Rory McIlroy's way. Everyone talks about his hip turn, and it was funny. I remember 
listening to Rory say, you know, until people told me, I wasn't even aware of this hip turn thing I have. Mm. Well, you, also, uh, some, I, I, I met a biomechanist a good while back um, who, who was telling me, he said, do you, he, was, he, he actually described Rory McIlroy's swing, and he was like, you know he does a double dip? And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> he was like, right. And he was like, he said, he said, he said, I, you know, I, I'd hate, to, I, I don't mean to say this because I'm sure it's, you know, it's probably incorrect. He said, but I think it's the one thing I don't think you could actually teach this. Here's a guy. This is just how he's developed his swing. He said he actually has a double. He has a double uncoiling that happens in the swing. He said that gives him this unbelievable timing and power and launch and everything. He said, and he said, and then you have people out there trying to do what he does. He said, it's just, you're chasing rainbows. You're chasing, not only are you chasing rainbows, you're chasing the leprechaun that's at the end of the rainbow who's got like a herd of unicorns as that's well. That's right. You know? <laughs> who's so got chase a- your own swing. Well, so that's, I- and, and that's what I kind of want to start wrapping this up by saying that one, one of the things about talking to Ed or reading, you know, Michael Hebron or any of the other things, and Tim began by saying, I'm, a re- I'm not a recent convert uh, to the idea that, You know, what I said to Tim recently was this. I realize after all the benefits that I've had as as a student of very, very top-level instructors, what I realize is all the improvements I've made in my golf game have come from my self-exploration. That, uh, you know, I had a te- I was telling Ed this story the other day that I had a teacher recently, a buddy of mine who's a longtime former tour player, watching me warm up one day and he said, hit a, hit a cut, and I did, and he said, hit a high draw, and I did, and also, I went through every shot you could possibly hit, and he said to me at the end of that, he goes, how come you never do that in the golf course? I go, <laughs> I didn't know you were supposed to. And, and I didn't. I literally spent my entire golf life, and I played at a pretty high level. I played the Canadian amateur in the 1990s thinking you were supposed to try and hit every shot straight. The first thing I saw in my inbox this morning is a note from my friend with a shot of uh, Tiger Woods uh, a cut into a shot from yesterday. He goes, see, nobody's trying to hit it straight. And that was uh, uh, the, so the paradigm shift that I've had is that it's okay that what you learn on your own and not from your guru is also okay. And probably in the long run, you'll learn more about how you move through a golf shot, through your own exploration, uh, or through your playful learning. But, but, but also something for your listeners to take away, and, 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 and it should take a lot of pressure off, is this idea, you know, the power law of practice. We, we get good at what we do. Now, that doesn't the, the 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 what we do though is what's important for how it will transfer into a different environment. I could get really good at doing some uh, a, a stylist tracing task on my on my uh, desk here, but as Dave, ten thousand hours. Yeah, don't go there, please. That's another day. Um, but 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 if it, like Dave Allred says, if someone comes in then and says, I've got to do that at my best, my personal best now performance for ten thousand dollars. There's no way I'd be able to do that because of how I've been practicing to date. So what I would be saying to people is, you know, that idea of power law of practice, take the pressure off yourself when you're trying to see so many gains so quickly. Because I think if I actually asked your 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 just your run-of-the-mill club golfer, how many hours are you actually managing to put into your golf? On top of having a career or doing other hobbies and a fan. Experimenting on your children. All this, yes, exactly. <laughs> but all that other thing, then, and you know what? All of the, all of the, 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 that dilutes the likelihood of there being some transfer. So rather than thinking, 
I'd like to see this coming up. I've worked on my chipping this week. I hope it's better on Sunday. I'm like, oh, hang on a second. I worked on my chipping this week. I would be saying, I worked on my chipping this week. And for the last 10 weeks, I hope sometime this season, I'll start seeing benefits. If I'm a club golfer is the way I would change that narrative. If I'm a professional golfer, absolutely. I worked on my chipping this week. And I worked in it in a way that was related to my game. I worked it in match practice and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I'm expecting to see it over the next couple of events. So, like, let's say, you know, I, I, I even heard, and again, you you speak to McElroy. McElroy even said himself, he was like, uh, one of his first interviews when he, he came off his off-season, he was like, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how the off-season will will reflect in, in my, my tournaments. He wasn't even putting pressure on himself for his first number of tournaments. And this is one of the one of the best guys to ever swing a club. And he's even given himself time for the work that he would have done with his coach in the off-season to get into play. The, we need we need to, and I think golf coaches have a major job here to take the pressure off club players, to to ease that pressure off themselves, and for them to actually go into a game of golf and their their Sunday with their friends with a real feeling of, I've got eighteen puzzles in front of me, each puzzle has four, three, four, or five pieces, to fix that puzzle. If I can get if I can get it in around those puzzle pieces, and I can buy a piece if I need to for a part three, it can be a four. That's a totally different way of approaching the game. Then it be, just becomes about solving eighteen problems. Exactly. Well, a, well, you're talking about a game. You're talking about playing a game, which is essentially what games are: is self discovery. Again, creativity, which is moving through a process. If if I'm working towards a result, mm-hmm. thus. If I've been working on my chipping during the week and I hope this works, yeah. that's just to me that's a, that's a recipe for self interference because mm. you because if you're if you're invested in a process, is this going to work? Mm-hmm. Then that's an emotional roller coaster, self judgment, yep. comparison, all that stuff. As opposed to let's play this game, these puzzles. I'm in the process of creativity. That's a very different thing, and it sounds a lot more fun. And and that speaks directly to my approach as a coach in golf. I'm I've very little interest in one on one off sessions with people. I'm so much more, especially in the game of golf. I'm so much more interested in saying, let's commit to each other for five years. Let's commit to because you know what? That sounds like a good business model for coaching. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah, Tim. Tim's new thing is if you want to sign up with me, you have to commit me until 2024. Yeah. But 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 what I mean by that is, and again, and I say this, when I work with somebody, when I start working with someone, I'll say we're gonna we're gonna do four, five, six sessions before we decide where we're gonna work with each other. That's our time to determine: is this something we both want to? Because because when we go when we're gonna commit, we're then gonna commit properly. We're going to commit for the next two seasons. We're going to commit. but So you've got four, five, and six sessions to see how weird I am, for me to realize how weird you are, for us to kind of feel for this, for you, for me to know what you like, you don't like, for me to kind of figure out, okay, he doesn't like this, but I'm going to have to go to there. So how do I figure out how to get him to that hot spot that he doesn't want to get to and all that? And I'm going to try that in those sessions. So then I get a gauge for 
he doesn't like challenge at all. This isn't going to work, and so on and so forth. Right. But what you're saying is it's a process. Right. It's yeah. not. It's not apply this fix or it this move. It takes time. Well, and it, it, let's just, you know, again, I know I've, I've been talking to Ed about it yesterday. I've been talking to Tim about Hebron, and we're going to be talking to Hebron soon. And I think, to me, you guys, well, when you read his stuff, uh, Ed, you're going to love it. And I do apologize for keep continually referencing him. But one of the things he said is, if you practice, if you're, if you're practicing with results as the, uh, as, the, as the goal, your brain doesn't, it doesn't process the same way when is if you're practicing in a joyful, playful manner, so that it's almost like the old thing. It's the journey that is the is the point, not the not the where you get to. It's you better be enjoying this part of self discovering and, and having a great time doing it because really that's all there is. You know, yeah. it's it's great to shoot a low number, and obviously, I've as a tournament player, I want to do well under pressure, but. Along the way, it's supposed to be a game. And as you said, Tim, it's supposed to be, there's supposed to be some joy in it. Whereas a, you see a lot of guys in the range, even guys at my level, just grinding away, trying to find this, the answer, whereas the answer isn't there. It's, it's somewhere within. Yeah, it's down, that, it's down that rabbit hole right. where, yeah. like, they, you know, hit a shot. Oh, that's offline. i got to adjust this. And then next thing you know, they spent, like, a half hour immersed in, how many different swing thoughts and th- and they've gotten nowhere. In fact, they they they're now worse than when they got there. Oh, absolutely. And and Ed, final word to uh, our friend Dr. Ed Collins. If you want to uh, go check him out online, it's not spelled Collins. It's spelled C O U G H L A N. I don't know how those letters all add up to Collins, but you know, uh, you're not from here. Uh, and last word, Dr. Ed. Uh, yeah, I think when when I when I heard I heard recently there that Justin Rose has like a series of swing thoughts before every shot, you know, and I and I and I remember seeing people think, yeah, so that that makes it okay for me to have all these swing shots, and then I go back to that analogy saying, well, that's that's Justin Rose, and that's a full time working pro with an incredible team of coaches around him. Like he's, he works with Phil Kenyon on his putting, a guy who's got a, an incredible reputation about uh, about the, the putting side of the game and so on, and all his other coaches and stuff. But he, it's a full-time job for him. And it's also something he's been working and building for 20 years in this intense space. To try and then transfer and translate that into a club golfer, that's a that's a frightening task to undertake. So I'd be much more along the lines of what Brooks Kopka was saying, saying, look, try and give yourself a bit of time and space to find what works for you. Exactly. You know, and see where that takes you rather than, as Tim was saying, implanting something onto, onto yourself. Um, thank you very much for your, your time today and uh, uh, yesterday. And uh, we'll be in touch. We're just going to let you go. Tim and I have got a couple of little uh, swing thoughts business to take care of at the end of the show. Ed, thank you very much for your time today. Chat to you soon, boys. Thank you. See you Bye. Ed. Bye. Okay, let me say I hang up on Ed. Are you still there, Tim? No, I hung up on Tim, too. All right, that's fine. Let me call Tim back. Uh, 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 there we go. There's the sound. Boom. Bum, 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 bum. Sorry, Tim. Hi. Hi, I'm back. I didn't, I didn't know how to turn. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know how to turn him off and you on. So that was good. He's good. Oh yeah, that's always fascinating talking to Dr. Ed Collin. I mean, um, and I know that I'm sure some of our listeners are going, "Okay, wait a sec, wait a sec. How do I?" Like, it's quite high-minded in some ways, but I, I think if you just take it to a practical level, just 
observe yourself, try new situations. I, and I love that because in in golf, what we're facing is a different problem to solve every time we're on the golf course, as opposed to trying to hit five putts right in, in a row. That we that just doesn't happen. Absolutely. So why? So why do we, I? I find myself. So I'm have to practice awareness of like, what am I doing right now? You know, um, I, I was going to say, I how can, do I break the paradigm? I, I can tell you, even in the last couple of months, even in my indoor practice, and I've gone crazy here at my house. I've got a thing where I'm chipping down the hall now. It's oh, even you know, yeah, it. it's gotten out of hand. Oh no, I, I have my indoor range, you know, my 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 golf lab with the mattress against the wall. But right. then I've started going down the hall, and uh, and what I've even even in that practice. I've tried not to hit the same, like I have five actual, like I've got some rubber balls, but I've got five real golf balls. And my challenge every time is I, I don't allow myself to hit the same shot in, in a row. So if one's a bump and run, the next one has to be an open face. The next one has, because, and I'm going to read you one last quote. Hebron says, we can use our conscious minds to set up problems. So that's the problem, but we have to get playful. If we want to solve them. And when, you, and when you see a guy, like I, I saw you working with one of your students last year, and they were having some trouble with some short game stuff. And yes, there's some general in the ballpark skill acquisition to be for sure. You, you know, if you're, if the ball's in a horrible place, but there's some skill in the ballpark. But what I saw from that person you were teaching with is somebody who is, just so desperate for somebody else to show them the solution when in actual fact until they accept that they're okay to go right. and find the solution themselves you're right and you know what that i that person did not stay as a as a client of mine I because i he was seeking a solution and and i'm just saying that that approach in my experience doesn't work that's right because because it's something that he has to discover within himself he's got a golf swing in there all my job is to help draw it out of him yep. and but he was he was going hey, hey coach how do you fix this and and whatever i say or whatever anyone else says he watches michael breed or reads in his golf digest um there's if it can trigger some new awareness in a person about what they have then there's possibility yeah and, and but trying to meet trying to meet some model that's that's external to you you're you're that's a tough one and i will say this in in some manner or fashion you have been saying that i think longer than i've understood it but you've been saying it um, and I know you, you know, sometimes with the Fred Shoemaker, it's in your body. It's it, it, it was it wasn't until I reread or read this Hebron book that I started to make connections to what you were saying. And with the way Hebron would say is it's you can't use words to instruct your muscles how to move. But, yeah, exactly. And so watching you work with that client that day, and I, and I, and he came to me as well, and I'm, you know, other, I'm, and other people, because I, and I, he's a great guy. He's amazing. He's got an amazing golf swing, but he was good having athlete. some very yeah. good athlete, but having, as a lot of people sometimes do, having trouble with their short game. And as you said, went from person to person seeking the solution when, you know, and there seems to be, I don't know what it is, an ego thing, or we just don't feel that 
that we're good enough to find the solution. And, and one last thing, you know, the Hebron says talking about that staying engaged is an act of letting in. While, right. while focusing is an act of seeking or trying that fragment that fragments progress. So he was seeking as opposed to letting in and letting in is what back to what Ed was saying is practicing in a way that presents different chip shots. And so maybe the the new the new way that we might work with a client like that, I say we, but, you yeah. know, I, I, but we might work with someone like that now might be to go in different spots and rather than try and work on one motion to fix all motions, work on all situations to fix um, a reliability, mental, whatever that was. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So what that person was doing was seeking a result. Am I doing this? Is this going to work? Right. So which which connects. I was talking to you um, through email, but I'd love to get uh, this woman on our program called uh her name is ellen langer and she uh wrote a classic book um called mindfulness and what she says is that when we are focused on results we're disconnected from the distinctions and what she means by distinctions is it's those little differences that we pick up in whatever we're doing whether we're writing being a salesperson a vp of finance uh so learn how to chip shots better if we're focused on results, we're not in the process, and we're not picking up on, we're not in flow, we're not picking up on those little things that we might discover about ourselves in in in, in making a motion with an intention of hitting a ball to a target. Right. And in essence, I think that's a way to we could kind of connect this stuff. Is once you're connected into, if it's all about the result, did this work? Then learning process essentially stops and grinds to a halt. And, and you know, there's a there's a stress that comes, and again, we'll just talk about somebody that has chipping issues. I don't like to say the chipping yips, but what that is, is a uh, uh, again, ego-driven, but it's a it's a mental thing. It's a story where if you hit one bad shot you th- or one bad chip, you think, okay, great. Now I'm a bad chipper forever into the future. Yes, and that's the fear. I'm afraid it's going to happen again. I'm afraid it's going to happen again. And that's why you'll see somebody in that day, somebody working with you, hitting the same shot over and over and over again, hoping to solve that shot so that they can solve all shots. I'll give you a quick thing about stand-up. Somebody once said, you, you can never, you'll never be a successful comedian until you're okay with the silence in the room. Because I'll tell you, you see new if you've seen new comics get up on stage they they go through their material very quickly because they're afraid they won't be a laugh and what would happen if there weren't well you know i did five shows last weekend in niagara falls and there are moments in my show in my routine where there are there is a silence in the room because i'm trying to build some tension but boy it takes a long time to get comfortable in front of 200 people with expectant looks on their faces wondering why you're rambling about people's gambling habits. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, yes. But it's in those silent moments that you sort of learn a little bit about yourself and your ability to kind of, you know, roll with that uncomfortable feeling. So what do you say that would be able to call that picking up on those distinctions those yes. little things and those they come by increments by like degrees they're not there's no you're there's very rarely uh whether i think you're in the performing arts or or as i say in business or golf where 
this eureka moment that comes that cha- your your life is forever changed. That's right. But unfortunately, that sounds great and good stories and things, but it's it's not what actually happens. We learn and discover, but we have to be open to it. And again, I, what I love about um, talking with Ed, he's just a fun guy to hear, I love, but that idea that this thing is creative and it's fun and it's forward looking and this is, it's just unfortunately the diametric opposite to the usual deal where I see club golfers grinding, working hard to try and get something right. Where's the fun in that? There is no fun in that. And maybe we should, we, maybe we change our, our swing thoughts idea. Originally it was we can help you shave six strokes off your score without changing your golf swing. And maybe our idea, our reason, our raison d'etre, our reason to be, I think has morphed into, you know, let us try and ma- help you make the game funner <laughs> to, to make it more of an enjoyable experience as you improve. And, and maybe if, if our, if our real reason to be here is to make the game just more, just a better experience for people, that's probably a, a pretty good place to land, you know? I like it. and But that is also, uh, you know, if you ask people, you know, what do they want? They want, well, I want to hit the ball straighter. I want to be able to draw it. I want to not three-putt. I want to not embarrass myself on the first tee. And then you ask them, why do you play? Oh, I want to have some fun. I want to hang out with my partner. I want to to see, I I want to enjoy the nature and all that stuff. So, but what they believe is that if they hit the ball straight and they don't embarrass themselves, they know three putt, then they're going to have the joy and the happiness. That's right. It's the opposite. It's funny. If you actually go in with the expectation, you know what? I'm going to have fun today. I'm going to really enjoy my partners. I'm going to enjoy looking around. Then the possibility comes that you could play some pretty good golf. And hit the ball towards your target. And but the funny cut. thing is, mo- most people go, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy nature and the people I'm with as long as I don't three putt three times on the front nine. Uh, exactly. That's it. Hang around here for a second. I'm gonna, we're going to have a little uh, swing thoughts meeting after we sign off. Uh, this program, thanks to Dr. Ed. Uh, thanks to Tim. Uh, Humble and Fred at HumbleandFredRadio.com. Tim O'Connor's uh, got a, a new uh, blog uh, weekly, it seems. He's got a website. And you can uh, get a hold of Timmy for, uh, for coaching one-on-one groups bar mitzvahs he'll host your uh he's got a he's got a he's got a balloon animal thing he's doing now teach you how to experiment with your kids with <laughs> exactly. coffee and sugar <laughs> that's right uh and thanks to uh, our sponsors once again for the 2019 season taylor yes made, official taylor made and adida and a uh, an announcement coming soon about where you can also hear swing thoughts we'll see you next time Baggies in their platforms